Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. I think, as you know, we are in the season between... Uh, Epiphany and Lent, we are looking at the beginning of the good news. And the good news began in Galilee. So we're looking at the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. When, I love Galilee, by the way. I, I really do. Uh, every time I'm in Galilee, I mean every time, and I've been there many, many times, uh, I always think it started here. This, this is where the good news was first proclaimed. The good news of Jesus has spread to the ends of the earth, but it began in Galilee. Today, my sermon is, we need a healer. We need a healer. And the good news is, that's exactly what Jesus is. Jesus is the healer we need. Today, we are returning to Capernaum. That's where we were last Sunday. We were in Capernaum, and we saw Jesus cast out a demon in the synagogue, and I preached the sermon, When the Son of God Goes Forth to War. Well, we're back in uh, Capernaum, and just picking up from where we left off. So as soon as the synagogue service is over, they They left the synagogue and immediately they entered into Peter's house. Now, I can tell you that's exactly the way it is. Um, We know exactly where that synagogue is and exactly where Peter's house is. Um, You know, when we we take pilgrims on a Holy Land tour, we teach them a little bit of biblical archaeology. And you have what you call A, B, and C sites. A means this is the spot. B means it's in the neighborhood. C means we've just picked someplace at random. <laughs> but, but the synagogue in Capernaum and Peter's house are A sites. I mean, we're, that's, that's the site. And uh, the house of Peter uh, became a church in the middle of the first century. So very early on, possibly in Peter's lifetime, it was being used as a as a gathering for the church, and it was that way for centuries and centuries. Uh, There's a Catholic church built over the top of it now. So, and I can tell you that if you leave the synagogue, it's, it's, it's what, a minute? No, it's not that long. 30-second walk, maybe a minute, from, from the synagogue to Peter's house. It's just, it's just right there. And that's what happened, and uh, they enter into Peter's house. That's apparently where Jesus is staying. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. She's lying in bed, and they mention that to Jesus. And Jesus goes to her and takes her by the hand and lifts her up, and she's healed. And now she begins to serve her guests there in the home. This is what happens next. Mark 1.32. That evening... At sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. 
And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. All right, so it's been, it's been the Sabbath. And that's why we're, they were in the synagogue and Jesus uh, casts out a demon. And then he goes, you know, for the, for the meal there on Shabbat at uh, Peter's house. And he learns that Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever and he heals her. And then as soon as the sun sets, the Sabbath's over. Okay, the Sabbath's over and people now can get out and move about. And they come to the house, to Peter's house, and they bring all the sick people they have. And they just crowd around the door and Jesus stands there at the door of the house and heals and cures these people. Now, it's a beautiful story. I mean, of of hearing that there's a healer among us. And those that were sick and those that had sick relatives and friends, they brought them to Jesus and he heals them. It's a beautiful story. But it's more than just a beautiful story of Jesus as a healer. Remember, the Gospels are not mere historical documents just reporting the facts. The Gospels are first and foremost theological documents with a theological message. The evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are theologians, not just journalists. They're theologians. Uh, and, and I think that's been forgotten among some. And so the idea became sort of like this, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are just where you get the story, and then you get your theology from Paul. But once you put that kind of gap between the Gospels and Paul, you're going to end up getting Paul wrong. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are every bit as much the theologian as the Apostle Paul. And in fact, if you ask me who I think is probably the greatest theologian in the New Testament, I probably wouldn't say Paul. I would probably say the author of the fourth gospel. That John, I think, reaches the greatest heights of theology in the New Testament. So, all the gospels present Jesus as a healer. And yes, Jesus was a healer. I mean, he healed, he healed all kinds of sickness and disease. And this is the this is the single thing that caused his fame to spread so much. Right? Is that Jude? God bless you. God bless you, Jude. <laughs> hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. All right. <laughs> so uh, Jesus healed all kinds. I mean, you know, he's healing the blind and those that are paralyzed and the deaf and and those that have leprosy and uh, what I mean, they're just, you know, the, the woman with the issue of blood, all kinds of diseases, Jesus heals. And this is the thing most responsible for the rapid spread of his fame, uh, that Jesus is a healer. And uh, Jesus still heals, heals people today. I mean, I, I, you know, people ask me, do you believe in healing? Well, of course I do. You know, I mean, of course I do. Uh, yes, Jesus still does that. Uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He heals, although uh, it's not something that we can have a formula and get Jesus to heal whoever we want every time. It just, it does, how many of you know it does not work that way? Uh, it just, there's, it's, it's going to remain from now until the age to come. That's going to be an area of mystery. 
as to why some are healed and some are not. But Jesus was and is a healer. But the main reason Jesus is depicted as a healer in the Gospels is theological in nature. They're not just reporting the facts. They're not just being journalists. They're not just saying Jesus went here and he went there and he healed this and he healed that. That's not what they're doing. I mean, that's true. That's true enough. But they've got a a much larger motive, the gospel writers, in telling these healing stories. Um, Here's the question. What is the universal sickness? The sickness that has infected us all. And no, it's not COVID-19. What is, this? what is the sickness that has infected us all? It's sin. Sin is the disease, the sickness, the illness that has infected us all. And by sin, I mean a distortion of our will and being. A distortion of our will and being that puts us on a wrong trajectory. Hamartia, that's the Greek word means to miss the mark. I seen a shooting star tonight and I thought of me. I seen a shooting star tonight and I thought of me. Did I ever become what you wanted me to be? Did I miss the mark, overstep the line that only you could see? I seen a shooting star tonight and thought of me. All right, that's that, that missed the mark to go on a wrong. So something's happened to our will and our being that puts us off on the wrong trajectory so that we, if we keep following that course, we become who we were never meant to be. We don't reach the telos, the goal. We don't become who we're supposed to be. That's what sin is. So sin is better understood as a sickness of the soul than as a forensic legal problem. We need a healer more than we need a lawyer when it comes to sin. Uh, we need a doctor. Now, you can think of Jesus as, as a, a lawyer. You can use that metaphor as an advocate. That, you can find that in Scripture, but I don't think it's the best metaphor, and I think it's much better to think of Jesus as a physician, as a doctor, as a healer. And why is that? Well, Jesus doesn't want to just save your legal status. He wants to save you. He wants to save your soul. See, a, a lawyer can, can get you out of a jam. But Jesus wants to do more than get you out of a jam. He wants to rescue you. He wants to heal you. He, doesn't want, he just doesn't want to get you off the hook. Jesus wants to cure your soul. Your soul has a disease, and Jesus wants to cure that. A lawyer treats your legal standing, but a doctor treats you, your being. And that's what Jesus is like. Now, in the Catholic and Protestant West, I mean, we have, we have the Western Church and we have the Eastern Church. The, the Western Church is the church that early on spoke predominantly Latin. And it's the Catholic and the Protestant Western world. That, that's the, what we know. But there's the other side, the church that spoke Greek. And developed kind of theologically and liturgically, they developed a little bit differently. In the Catholic and Orthodox West, the church has mostly thought of sin as a kind of legal problem. Guilt. We're guilty. We're guilty. How are we going to? We're guilty. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to? 
How are we going to get the not guilty verdict? And that has been the approach to sin. That the biggest problem is our standing before God as one who is guilty. And so what we need is a lawyer. In the Orthodox East, in that part of the church that just always spoke Greek, and they didn't, because that, that's what really created the division to begin with, is just language. They speak Latin, they speak Greek, and they kind of went their separate ways. In the Greek-speaking East, uh, the church has been and still is more inclined to think of sin as a sickness. Now, both are true metaphors, okay? Both are true metaphors, but for us here in the West, I think we need a more therapeutic metaphor. Uh, sin, for sure, I mean, sin has its own punishment. Don't think, nobody ever gets away with anything. I mean, sin, the wages of sin is what? So if we, if we follow that wrong trajectory... That's a distortion of our will and being, and it puts us on the wrong trajectory. Eventually, that has consequences. And I think we should say it this way. We are far more punished by our sins than for our sins. So what we need is we need healing. When, we, when, when salvation is kind of reduced, and I think it's a cheapening, when we reduce salvation to mostly being a verdict of not guilty, we fail to treat the real problem. I mean, forgiveness is there. Hallelujah. I, I, I love the idea of forgiveness, but forgiveness is not the essence of salvation. The essence of salvation is holiness. Now, when I, use the, when I say the word holy or holiness, especially if I, say the word, if I use it as holiness, um, I think a lot of people find that off-putting. You know, if I said, okay, I'm going to begin a 10-week series on holiness, you know, people say, oh, brother. And that's because um, legalism sometimes uh, masquerades itself as holiness. It says it's holiness, but it's just legalism. And because people have suffered from legalisms that run the gamut from petty to truly abusive, people sometimes are put off and have a negative association with the word holiness. I'm going to urge us to not do that. We need to recover that word. It's a beautiful word. It's a good word. Think of it like this. It's wholeness. It's wholeness. Um, you're called, you know what you're called to be? A saint. You're called to be, you know what saint means? A holy one. And that doesn't mean super, super pious. It means you're to be whole in your being. You're not to miss the mark. You're to, you're to reach your destiny, your telos, your goal, and become the person that God intends you to be. A person that in your own uniqueness, because there's no one like you, in your own uniqueness bears the image of God. What we have in common is that we're all called to bear the image of God, but we all do it in unique ways. And so the great, somebody said, I don't remember, it might have been Thomas Merton. There's only really one great tragedy, and that's to not become a saint. Well, God wants you to become who you really are. Now by the help of God, I shall become myself, Soren Kierkegaard. So forgiveness is not the essence of salvation. Holiness is, and holiness is a good word. Um... But what, what prevents us from being wholeness is this infection, this disease of sin. And so we need, 
what? We need a doctor. We need a physician. We need a healer. After Jesus healed all the people there in Capernaum, the next morning he got up really early uh, before sunrise. And he's out there in the lonely dark praying. And then the disciples are looking for him and they hunt for him and they finally find him. And Jesus says, all right, we gotta, we got we to gotta hit the road now. Because I'm not just going to stay in one place and preach this good news. And so Jesus begins a preaching tour of Galilee. And he goes through all the towns and villages of Galilee preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick. In one village, uh, one of these Galilean villages, a leper comes to Jesus. And he bows down before Jesus. He makes obeisance. He bows down before Jesus. I mean, the leper's not even supposed to be in town. So it's a daring move on his part to begin with. But he comes to Jesus and he bows down and he says simply this, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. And then moved with compassion. That's what we're talking Moved with compassion. He touched the leper. And immediately the leper was healed. Well, leprosy, you know, was the most dreaded disease of Jesus' day because of its social stigma. Lepers were excluded from society and forced to live in shameful isolation. They had to leave their family. They could not stay in their village. They could not belong to the synagogue. They were cast out. They were ostracized. They were set aside. They were shunned. And there was a shame connected with it. Even today, we speak of someone who is totally ostracized for moral reasons as a leper. That Jesus healed lepers by touching them. That's the one thing you can't do. You can't touch a leper because that'll make you unclean. That Jesus healed lepers by touching them has a profound theological message. Of course, Jesus can heal a physical skin disease, but that's not the message. The theological message is that Jesus is the one who has compassion on the untouchable. Jesus will touch the moral lepers when other people won't. You know, I'm still thinking about holiness and how we need to reclaim that. And it's a problem, though, because of the Pharisees. The Pharisees then and now. Because they claim to be the holy ones, and they're not. Pharisees try to demonstrate their so-called holiness, their presumed holiness. Pharisees try to prove their holiness by how zealous... They are in rejecting and ostracizing other kinds of sinners. I'm talking about then and now. There are those that they will prove to you how righteous they are, how holy they are, how just they are, by how zealously they reject and ostracize certain kinds of other sinners. 
Um, that's not holiness. That's sinful self-righteousness. That's just scapegoating. That's just, you know, defla- we don't want to deal with our own sins, so what we do is we become very zealous about ostracizing people that commit a certain kind of sin. Well, Jesus demonstrates true holiness by showing compassion to those that are ostracized, to touching them. Now, Jesus doesn't just associate with the moral leper. He also calls for repentance. He also calls for a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Uh, We should indeed, I think, in certain instances, we think that some sinners, when it's possible, should make amends for their sins. We believe for all of that. We believe in that kind of restorative justice. But followers of Jesus should ask, who are today's moral lepers and how do we treat them? Because we want to follow Jesus, not the Pharisees. So Jesus goes on this tour and he heals a bunch of people, including a leper. And then then he comes back to his home base. He comes back to Capernaum. This is where he's, this is his base. And when it was heard that he was back home, the whole town is excited. And they gather to the house. And they they fill it up because Jesus is teaching. And so Jesus is teaching and the house is filled up. And now it's spilling outside the house and people are, you know, outside but listening. Because they're just so excited about what he's doing. Now, in Capernaum, there was, a, there was a man who was paralyzed. Paralyzed. And, but he had four friends. And the four friends said, you know what? We need to take our friend to Jesus. Because he's just healing everybody. Let's do that. And so they do. They, they, they pick him up on his mat and everything. One on each corner, and they carry, Je- they carry their friend to Jesus. They get there, though, and they can't get in. And the meeting's already in progress. It's already packed out. Nobody's going to give up their spot. <laughs> they won't let them in. But these are really enterprising friends. And they say, well, let's not give up. And somebody gets an idea. They, they, they get up on the roof. You know, you have the flat roofs. They get up on the roof with, they, with their friend up there. They get a friend up on the roof. They begin to dismantle the roof, you know, move the thatch or whatever it is around. And they're going to lower him right in front of Jesus. But they've got to figure out, no, it's got to go about four feet this way. <laughs> they, we're, everybody should have some friends like this. These are great friends. All right, all right, this is the And so they kind of dig around, they open, and then they get ropes. I mean, there's, there's some planning went into this, and they lower. I mean, Jesus is teaching, and then Jesus, this guy's just being lowered. Right down in front of Jesus. May we all have four friends like that. And when Jesus, what we're told is when Jesus saw their faith, not the one on the mat, paralyzed and being lowered, but when he sees the faith of the four friends, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus forgives the sins of this man in response to the faith, none of the man, but of the friends. That's beautiful. He sees their faith and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Of course, there are scribes that are there, scribes and Pharisees. And they're very upset by Jesus just willy-nilly pronouncing your sins are forgiven. 
because the scribes are the Torah scholars and there's a whole process you got to go through. And Jesus is bypassing all of that and just proclaiming your sins are forgiven. And you know what they're going to call that. They call it, you know what they're going to call it. They call it blasphemy. There's certain people just love that word, you know. And they say, this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knows that's what they're muttering and thinking and saying. And so he just says to them, well, you know, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Now, for me, the answer would be it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven because how are you going to prove it? (laughs) But for the Son of God, it's no different. So he says, all right. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then, he then says to this paralyzed man, now, get up and walk. And he does. He stands up and he's healed and everybody's amazed. And then this is what happens next. Chapter 2, Mark 2, verse 13. Jesus went outside. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. As he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. So everywhere Jesus goes, a crowd gathers. People want to be around him. By the way, what does evangelism look like today in our culture, in our society, at this present time? Not just, you know, some generic any time, but what does evangelism look like early 21st century America? Does it look like, you know, standing on the street corner and handing out gospel tracts? You know, I'm not opposed to it, but I don't know about that. And I've done it a lot. You know, I have experienced it, but I don't know that that's really what evangelism looks like today. I think that evangelism mostly looks like bringing people to good churches. Good churches. Where Jesus is present, where Jesus is proclaimed, where, where there's health because it's a Jesus-centered church. I think that's what evangelism mostly, it, it looks like those four friends bringing there are other friends. So bring your friends to church. Just bring them. To, that's, I think that's mostly what evangelism looks like. Bring, because it's not even any way. It's not, salvation is not really this, you know, this personal, private transaction between you and Jesus alone. It's, it's being gathered into the community of people that Jesus is healing and restoring and giving them their lives back. And by the way, when I talk about evangelism, I'm, I'm talking about bringing Christians too because... Christians need to be evangelized these days. There's a lot of Christians that don't know the good news, right? And so I think that's what evangelism looks like. So there's a crowd, and, and, and the, the man is lowered, and he's healed, and then Jesus goes out by the sea, and the crowds, the, everywhere he goes, there's a crowd because they're attracted to him. And then Jesus sees a guy, in the, a tax collector, 
Here he's called uh, Levi. Other gospels, he's called Matthew, same person, son of Alphaeus, Matthew Levi. Tax collectors are moral lepers. Tax collectors take advantage of people. Tax collectors are traitors. Tax collectors are colluding with the Roman Empire and getting rich doing it at the expense of their kinsmen, their own people. They, they are rich and they are hated. They are loathed. They are often the target of violence from the zealots. Tax collectors. They're the moral lepers. They're the people that, that in Jesus' day in a typical Jewish village would be hated the most, even more than the Romans. Tax collectors. And they're irreligious. They're not pious. They're not observant. They are moral lepers. And Jesus sees one of them and says, follow me. Follow me. Because Matthew's been on the wrong trajectory. Hamartia, his arrow is, he's going the wrong way. And Jesus sees him and says, follow me. Jesus is going to change the trajectory of his life. He's going to get him back on course. Follow me. Follow me. And Matthew, okay, I'm going to go for it. I've been this. I'm going to go in a new direction. I'm going to follow this one. Matthew then throws a big dinner. They're rich. Tax collectors are rich, so they can throw a big dinner. And what's evangelism look like? It looks like inviting your friends to the place where Jesus is. And so he invites his friends. Well, his friends aren't the Pharisees. His friends aren't the synagogue crowd. His friends are the other tax collectors and other kinds of sinners. That is, boy, everybody's a sinner, but these are sinners that are notorious. You know, people that, people, oh, yeah, like, like a prostitute or something like that. Tax collectors. Nefarious sinners, we could say. And that's who comes. All the worst of the worst. The moral lepers. The people that the pious would shun and reject and ostracize. And Jesus is comfortable with them. He's there. He's, he, he's, he, he doesn't partake of their sin. They're not influencing Jesus, but Jesus is influencing them. But the Pharisees are upset about this. And they're murmuring. And this is, this is a recurring theme. This is a recurring problem throughout the ministry of Jesus, that, that um, Jesus hangs out with the wrong people. And so they began to say, well, um, what's the deal, man? How come you're, they said to the disciples, how come your rabbi hangs out with the worst of the worst? How come, they, how come your rabbi eats with tax collectors and say, we're holy and we don't, and we keep our, we stay away from them. And they're not holy, they're self-righteous. And Jesus overhears this and what does he say? He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have come to call, not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus treats sinners as if they're sick. Jesus sees sinners and says, they need a doctor, and I'm the doctor. And I'm going to treat their sickness. Here's the good thing about acknowledging that we are sinners. 
It's a diagnosis. <laughs> you know, sometimes people say, oh, I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm, we're called saints, not sinners. Well, okay, but we still have a problem. I mean, if you know there's something not well about you, you go to a doctor, and before the doctor can treat you, he's got to diagnose you. Here's the diagnosis. You've got a case of sin. <laughs> That's the diagnosis. You've got a case of sin. But the good news is, now you can come to Jesus, and you, you qualify, because Jesus, uh, if, if you're without sin, Jesus says, well, you don't need me. I'm not called to you. You're, you're righteous? Well, fine. More power to you. But if you say, no, 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 I, I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. Uh, there's something wrong with me. There's a distortion of my will and being that keeps putting me in the wrong direction. Let's just, oh, well, uh, then I came for you. Let's, let's have a closer look. Let's see what we can do for you. We're sinners called to be saints. Yes, we've been declared not guilty, and that's beautiful. We've been forgiven, but we still have the sin sickness, and that's why we need the great physician. So don't hide your sin sickness from Jesus. Confess it. Yes, he'll forgive you, but, but beyond that, he'll begin to treat you, begin to heal you. Uh, he wants to cure you, and it's a process. I mean, we see, we see instances you know, of instant healing you know, of the physical disease, but more often, some, sometimes, sometimes there's a, 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 a getting on the right path that is so significant that it almost, you know, it's very dramatic, and I, I get that. But for the most part, um, we sinners are in a kind of a long-term treatment regiment with Dr. Jesus. But if we'll just be present to him, if we'll just keep showing up, if we'll just be honest. You know, if you lie to your doctor, the doctor really can't help you that much. How do you feel? Oh, I feel fine. And you don't. Well, no, you come to Jesus and you say, look, uh, Jesus, I'm still struggling in this area. I still keep going off the wrong trajectory. I, I keep, Jesus, all right. Sit with me. Be with me. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to heal you. I've come to help you. So I'm wanting to preach good news these days. So what is the good news? Well, the good news is this. Sin is a sickness, and Jesus is a healer. Amen. Sin is a sickness. I mean, you caught it from somewhere. Everybody has. It's the most contagious of all diseases. We've all caught it. But the good news is Jesus is a healer. So let's draw near to Jesus right now. Stand up with me. And uh, let's draw near. There's different ways to draw near to Jesus. But one way is to come to the table of the Lord. And to partake of the body and blood of Jesus. There's healing in the bread. There's healing in the cup. Because it is a mystical, sacramental connection with the very body and blood of Jesus. It's a treatment. It's medicine for your soul. Amen. Amen. Let's confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, now let's confess our sins and receive forgiveness. But then draw near to the healer, to the great physician. Confess with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Now, God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. But now we come here. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's the Lord's table. He is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Now, just open up and be present to the Lord. Just be present. Maybe, maybe a gesture of openness with your, with your hands. I'm going to pray, but I'm, I'm praying on your behalf. You just kind of flow along with this. Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, there is an uncleanness in my soul. There is a distortion of my will and being. I too often go on the wrong path, the wrong trajectory. And it seems like I can't help it. But if you're willing, Jesus, you can help me. You can cleanse me. You can save me. Just make that kind of, make that your prayer. Just pray it like that. Put it in your own words. Just, just Jesus, here I am. Be my healer. Touch my soul. Take the sin sickness out of me. Treat me, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you've forgiven me. I know you have. I know I'm forgiven. I know you don't condemn me. But Jesus, I need to be cured. I need healing in my soul. I don't want to keep living that way. I know you'll keep forgiving, but I don't want to keep living that way. 
Jesus, I present myself to you in this moment. Save me. Heal me. Doctor my soul. Amen and amen. Now let's just stand. Just, can, just let's worship. Just stay in the presence of the Lord. and Just, just let Jesus minister to you, treat you right now, right in this moment.